Hi there, this is Terry, and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. Today I'm really excited to be chatting with Sarah de Godemar, a stop-motion animator who I've been following for quite some time. Now, Sarah graduated from NYU's film program back in 1997, where she quickly landed a role as a production assistant at the Jim Henson Company. However, that role was very short-lived as she got an opportunity to work on Celebrity Deathmatch as a stop-motion animator, and since then she spent over 20 years developing her craft. And if you like stop-motion, there's a really good chance you've seen her work because she's animated on nearly two dozen shows like Moral Oral and WWE Slam City, plus she was an animator on Coraline. Now she's living in Paris, France, doing freelance stop-motion work for various clients. So Sarah, hello and welcome. Thank you so much for being here. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Great. Yeah, I'm really excited to chat. I, I really love stop-motion. I've been following your work for a while. So um, yeah, let's just get into it. So I know you didn't intend to get into stop-motion from the start. You were uh, a production assistant on at the Jim Henson Company, and you're actually pursuing film at NYU. So how did you get inspired to start your film career in the first place and not stop motion? Uh, well, at first, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, my, my aunt had a video camera and I used to make little films with my cousin and, you know, just goofing around, just had fun. Um, but to be honest, I never thought of it as a career, like something people do and make money until um, I was in my junior year of high school and I saw the movie The Freshman. Did you ever see that? No, I didn't, but I know I'm very aware of that movie. It's a movie. It's got it's got Matthew Broderick in it, and he goes to it goes to NYU. He goes to film school in New York, and I saw that, and I thought, oh, that's that looks amazing. Like I want to do exactly that. I go study film, so I applied just I don't know just to see if I could get in, and then I did, and then I was like, I have to go. So, I mean, I know it sounds really stupid, but you know, I'm just when I was a kid. I was really drawn to, especially stop motion, I was really drawn to it without thinking about it as a job that people do. Like it just didn't, you know, I grew up in the suburbs in Kansas City. I wasn't surrounded by the film industry or anything. So I didn't think about people actually making that stuff. It just seemed magic. What specifically drew you to film and stop motion versus something else? Like was there something that really excited you about it or was it just kind of like this magical thing that you didn't know was possible or cool or something? Well, I mean, when I was at film school, I kind of found my way into the animation department, which I thought would kind of be a neat way to combine. I liked art as well as I liked making those little films. And then when I was in high school, I saw Culture Comforts at a, at a, at a film festival. And I mean, I just, I just, I loved it. I thought it was amazing. And I don't know, I guess just because I really liked the aesthetic and really enjoyed it, I just wanted to try to make it. So yeah, it just, that's really how it started. So I, I know you took uh, a stop motion class at NYU. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Uh, yeah, the only had, I mean, so if I had known I was going to study animation, I probably would have applied for a school that had like a bigger animation department because the one at NYU is, it's not huge, uh, especially for experimental animation. Um, but uh, they did have this stop motion class. I ended up taking it a couple times so that I could use it to make my senior film. Um, so I made a yeah, I made a little film when I was there. So, so were there other people that were taking this stop motion class over and over again to make a film, or were you kind of the only one? Like, no, I think other people did it too. I think also. Um, Tunde did it. Tunde Adabimpe, he's the now he's the lead singer of TV on the radio, but he, he was in my class. Um, and I think he took it a couple times too and made a film. So you could do that. You could that was an option because they didn't really have a a pathway for that to be your major. So you just had to sort of make it work. But so 
like you're in a film program. How did you get the confidence to kind of make your own path into stop motion instead of, I mean, when you're in school, everything's kind of laid out for you to take a specific career path by the end, right? So where did you find the confidence to pursue stop motion and then kind of take that class over and over again, make your own film and then take that on as a career? Uh, I, I wouldn't say it was confidence, just so much as being kind of naive about how I wasn't really that good at it. <laughs> I just really liked it. I don't know. I just was having fun. So I just kept doing it. And, and I, I didn't know I was that bad at it. So I kept doing it. And if you keep doing something, you actually end up eventually getting, you get good at it. So, I mean, it was just, I was just lucky that I was, that I was just enthusiastic and naive. So, so can you explain kind of the film that you made by the end? Like what was, what was it? About? <laughs> what, I, I, I'm not, I'm still not going to put it on the internet, even though you're asking me about it. <laughs> <laughs> at least describe <laughs> it to me. Good. <laughs> Uh, it was a film about um, these aliens. They come down to Earth and they they're looking for intelligent life. Um, but they they land in the middle of the night, so they they come across a dog in a backyard and they think this must be you know the the intelligent life on Earth. So they they try to use their little guidebook and communicate with the dog, which doesn't work very well. And that's the film. <laughs> I mean, that sounds really cute and amazing. So I would like to see it one day. But I understand if you oh well animated though. <laughs> so, but, but I, mean, I made it. There's that. I can say that I made something. <laughs> right, but obviously it helped you land your first role in stop motion somewhat. So it must have been decent enough to show that you knew some fundamentals and that you were serious about it. Right. So maybe can you talk sure. about how you landed your first role in like actual paid stop motion? Because I know when you graduated, you went to work on the for the Jim Henson Company. So that that's quite a switch, I guess. Yeah, well, when I when I so when you're at uh, NYU, you can you can pick an in, you can apply for an internship. Um, and there's there weren't any. I mean, at the time that I was there, there was nothing going on in stop motion where they had some kind of an internship to do. So I had to pick something that somewhat was in the right field. I had two options at the time. Actually, it was Jim Henson or being Michael Moore's assistant. Um, so I picked, I picked Jim Henson because also as a kid, I was a huge fan of Jim Henson and it's kind of in the same realm. I mean, it was a, it was a puppet show, which, you know, it had a CG background. So it was a partially animated, I guess. Um, but yeah, they didn't have, there was no stop motion choice. So I was, I was in that and then I got hired there. So I was working there for a little while and uh, yeah, it just wasn't a good, it wasn't a good fit. I wanted to, wanted to animate. So I ended up moving on from that job. Uh, and then Celebrity Deathmatch. Oh. How did you make the move uh, into Celebrity Deathmatch Death then? Uh, well, um, well, actually, immediately after Jim Henson, I did actually work at another studio. I was doing After Effects, doing, uh, you know, like uh, station IDs and uh, animated text and stuff. And then um, that was through a teacher at NYU. So I was still keeping in touch with uh, people at NYU. And one of my classmates in my stop motion class, the teacher had told him about a job um, at MTV. And so I called up and I said, yeah, my teacher told me about this job, even though that wasn't technically true. And um, so, yeah, I got a I got a, a meeting and at the meeting, I, you know, I showed my I showed my film and they were actually worked in my favor. They were pretty desperate, actually, because they didn't have a lot of stop motion people in New York. So they were hiring. Yeah, lots of people who were very inexperienced. I mean, there's a lot of people who got their start there yeah, because yeah. Uh, they really they needed a whole crew and they just, there, there wasn't really a scene in New York. So they had to create it. 
So as an inexperienced stop motion animator and working with a studio who's kind of desperate for stop motion, how, what was the day to day like there? Like, did you have to scramble and pick up speed really fast or? Yeah, um, <laughs> it was in the beginning we were working, we didn't even have frame grabbers. So we just were animating. We were using on um, Adobe Premiere, they had this uh, capture option where you could take, you take pictures and you could, you could sort of scroll through what you were doing, but it wouldn't play it back. So it wasn't it wasn't entirely useful for actually, you couldn't really see the motion of what you were doing. Um, so in the beginning, uh, if you watch early Deathmatch, the stuff is really rough. And then about halfway through the first season, that's when we got those animation, the lunchbox. And uh, you can see the quality improve very quickly after that. And we were just churning out so much animation. And we, you know, we're using this, we had immediate feedback with these video systems. And so, I mean, I really learned all of my skills doing in that moment. Like I didn't learn all the animation in college so much as I learned it on the job. Like that, that was the best college experience I could have had. It was really, it was intense and it was, I learned a lot. So what is maybe one specific skill that you that really honed in for you during that period? Well, um, one of the things I always say is I think that the best <laughs> was kind of the best school. I think that's why a lot of the animators who came out of there have all been pretty successful is that we were learning to be very, you had to be very broad with your movements and you had to do things like punches and kicks and so you had to really know the physics and the, you know, the movement of the energy from one object to another and the follow through and the, you know, the anticipation. And so all that kind of stuff would be really big and broad. And then we kind of learned to translate that into other things. But I think it was a really, I think it was a really great approach to learning animation. I know punches, it seems kind of violent, but I think it's a really great way to learn animation. Fair enough. I mean, was it also like challenging at times to work with I mean, you said before you got Lunchbox, that was challenging, but were there other things on the show that were very challenging that you had to mm -hmm. pick up specific skills for, or like, I don't know, were there limitations with the puppets or something? Well, uh, I mean, we were shooting in essentially what were closets um, <laughs> on the MTV building. It wasn't real stages. And um, yeah, we were setting up stuff ourselves and we had these clay puppets, which were, you know, sometimes they'd get pretty messy under the hot lights and... It was, uh, you know, I mean, you, you, you watch the show. It's not, it's not Coraline. It's, <laughs> but it's all right for what it was. I mean, it's people just punching each other. I mean. <laughs> right. So mm -hmm. you, you've worked on like a ton of shows since then. Can you kind of give a Cole's notes of your career in stop motion over the years? Mm -hmm. Any, like significant roles or shows that you've worked on? So I, after MTV, I worked at um, Wilbent Studios for a while. So I worked on Gary and Mike and then the PJs. And then I worked on a show called Phantom Investigators, which was um, for, uh, I think it was WB, that was Saturday morning. And uh, that one was tragic because it was about a show about a, a, there was a girl in the lead. And the advertise they, the the station they eventually canceled it after like two episodes because they they wanted to sell advertising to boys for toys for boys and they didn't know how to do that on a show that had a girl it was it was really stupid um but it was a really cool show so you can find it online you should watch it <laughs> I worked on I, I worked on a revival of Davy and Goliath with Art Clokey who is the creator of Gumby um I worked on <laughs> worked on a low budget movie called Disaster I worked on Robot Chicken, 
Uh, and then I made the leap to uh, high budget feature films. I worked on Coraline. Um, after Coraline, I worked um, on, uh, well, I worked at Cinderbrider, which we got the plug pulled. And then I worked on a special Buddy the Elf. I worked on a Chef Super Mansion. Uh, I've actually worked in CG, so I worked on Lego Batman, uh, Maya the B2. I worked a little bit on Anomalisa. That's a about it i think <laughs> and lots of commercials That's, and lots of other little things i mean it seems like you've pretty much done it all at this point um was was there a point where you kind of realized you were kind of playing in the big leagues of stop motion i mean coming on kind mm -hmm. of a celebrity death match at the beginning versus like working on things like Coraline that everybody knows and has watched like at what point did you kind of realize you're in the big leagues of stop motion <laughs> Well, I suppose when you work on a high-budget feature, that's when you, it, there's a huge difference. Because when you're working in TV, the question is, how much animation can you give us today? How fast can you go? And when you work on a feature, the question is, what can we do to make this look the best it can look? Which, as an artist, is just amazing, because they're asking you to come up with a, the best rig you can come up with, you know, and just uh, do video reference and do a rehearsal and get it right like if that's i mean, I, th I think that's the bigger leagues <laughs> nice yeah well that's that sounds amazing and um i know that like stop motion and a lot of animated um careers are very contract to contract was there a point where you kind of felt like very comfortable in what you were doing like you made it in your stop motion career like this is this is like not risky or uh, no. <laughs> no? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's always kind of risky. Um, I always feel like uh, I'm learning and I can be better. And I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but I never feel completely comfortable. I suppose so, people who stay in one place, like somebody who's working at Leica year after year after year, probably feels pretty comfortable and pretty confident. Um, but I've moved around a lot, so I, I haven't had that, that stability. So when you kind of started, you said you were naive about stop motion and now it's a career for you. Like what is what is that drive that keeps you going and pursuing it? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I stopped doing it for a little while because I was looking to expand my skill set to, you know, have other job opportunities. So I did some computer animation and I have to say when I was doing computer, I really, I really missed it because there's just something about actually putting your hands on the character and... Also, with your animation and stop motion, you really you really own it because, you know, when you're working in computer, people can come in and they tell you, change this, change that, and you just change it over and over, and you kind of, you never know when you're finished, and it's not really you anymore, but when you're working in stop motion, I mean, it's just you on the set, and you have to make it work, and when it's done, I mean most of the time they're going to accept it and so that's your work in the movie without you know a bunch of other hands in it and that's really you know you feel like you bled for it because you really like physically felt pain while you're animating and it's yours so you feel this like this real sense of pride which I don't feel the same sense of pride when I'm doing the computer animation it's not yeah. it's just not the exact same feeling Right, right, right. And how did you make the jump into computer animation? Because you had all this experience in stop motion. Well, I knew Chris McKay, and he was directing the Lego Batman movie. So he, I was doing some night classes while I was uh, working in L.A., and um, I told him I was learning some computer, and he said, do you want to work on Lego Batman? And I said, yes, I would love to. Right. So, Yeah. 
Which is a good segue because it's really, it's like doing stop motion in the computer. So I didn't have yeah. to be that high level. It was sort of just like translating thinking in the way that I already think just into the computer, which was, you know, kind of an asset for that movie. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, I really love the style of those Lego movies because of the stop motion kind of look and feel they took. Um, yeah. So you, you, you also said you worked on Cinderbiter. Can you share anything about that experience? Like how, how that was, how it maybe went down, <laughs> how you felt <laughs> afterwards or through Yeah, that was a really, that was a really traumatic experience because um, we, before they pulled the plug, like that was a really, it was a really great job. I mean, we were just really having a good time. It was a good crew. Everybody was really enjoying coming into work every day. It was just really fun. Um, and then one day I was working and um, the production coordinator poked her head in my set and she said there's a big company-wide meeting right now in the in the tank room and um the t we called the tank room the tank room is there's a there was a giant tank in there which was where they used to hold the chocolate because it was a chocolate factory um and so I thought well that's kind of weird you know and she said well you just need to you just need to get up there so I went up there and then there was this the whole crew is standing everyone's kind of you know goofing around and then this guy comes in and he's wearing a suit which nobody nobody wears a suit in a stop motion studio so that's weird um and yeah and then he says he's like a, a accountant or something from pixar and he said um yeah this, that's it we're not you need to go home like we're that's we're not shooting the rest of the movie it's over and um yeah everybody was completely shocked because we didn't see that coming it was just one second we had work and the next second it was like go home I mean it was really and I had moved all the way to San Francisco with my family and I had just signed a lease and yeah it was really shocking and um and while we were in there they released the press release to you know variety and everything so that they could sort of control the story so you know the rest of the world knew moments before we knew that you know we were out of a job um and they were taking all the puppets off our stages right in the middle of shots they just pulled the puppets um, just in case we would, I guess, steal them or damage them in our anger. I'm not sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I came back and, yeah, it wasn't even my puppet wasn't even there. It was just, I just said, go home. And then you had to kind of, I guess, recover from that experience. Did you, have, did you like, start looking well, for first, another first job? We had to, well, uh, first we had to get out of our lease, <laughs> which was a bit of a, took a couple of months. Um, right. And then I actually took a, I took a break. Um, we had this unusual situation where uh, because we had, we needed to move again, um, we thought, well, why don't we just put our stuff into storage and we could, you know, travel a little bit. And then it just kind of spiraled out of control. We're like, oh, well, if our stuff's in storage, then we can, you know, travel a little bit more. And the next thing we knew, we took a trip around the world. Oh, so wow. I ended up taking, yeah, I took like a year off and I took my one-year-old and a three-year-old on a trip around the world. Oh my um, gosh. So yeah, <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't go back to animating right away. <laughs> no way. So, I was like, why you, not? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that I'm sounds no amazing to take a year break. <laughs> what were the, what kind of, what countries did you go to? I'm just curious. Uh, we went uh, through South America. We went to Argentina, Chile. We went over to Australia. Then we went through Southeast Asia. We went to Thailand, uh, Cambodia, Japan, then down to Hong Kong, then India, then Jordan, and um, through Europe, and then, you know, Montreal, and then then back home. <laughs> oh gosh, and with a one and three-year-old in tow, that, that yeah. was probably an experience. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, 
I also, I'm just wondering, so um, I guess the producers of Cinderbiter took the, the puppets away. Do you know how much an average puppet, like a stop motion production puppet for a feature film, like how much it costs or or like is oh, worth something? Is it like super Th duper expensive? Thousands of dollars. Oh, it's super yeah. duper expensive. Because if you think about all the specialized labor that goes yeah. into it, uh, I mean, I know it's thousands, but especially at Cinderbiter, I would say those are even more valuable because they put in these breathing rigs, which I have never had on a puppet oh, wow. before or since. And it, yeah, they had these dials in the back that uh, had these paddles test and turn the dial it would you know expand and contract so you could you could make your puppet breathe um uh, which was really uh, yeah before really too much yeah well what there's a couple of downsides i mean for one thing there's a lot of hardware there so they didn't really bend very well at that point in the chest so you have to you, it's kind of a sacrifice a little bit in the mobility of the of the torso but um but then yeah you can breathe um, and, and I know that they were really, they really liked that they had put those in. So a lot of times I'd be doing shots and the, the note would be like, yeah, could he breathe a little more? You know, I think they just really wanted to see that <laughs> breathing rig going. So yeah. Meanwhile, the puppets are like huffing and yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if the movie had come out, there would have been a lot of really like out of breath <laughs> acting. Um, so how. It was cool though. I mean, I really. Yeah. Sorry, how detailed is the direction of of like uh, stop motion then. So if they're like, make the puppet breathe more, are, do they also say things like, I don't know, lift that hand up more, or I don't know, like what is the direction of working on a puppet like? Mm -hmm. Well, um, it was interesting because one of the misconceptions I had before going on to a feature is I thought, well, because it's a feature, they're gonna be really specific and really micromanage everything and you won't have a lot of freedom to to come up with stuff because I thought one of the great things about TV is that you really are like mini directors on your stage because there's just not a lot of time so you make a lot of decisions and you're you know you're just kind of coming up with stuff but it, the truth is when when you're working on a feature you know you meet with a director and you you discuss the shot and the director saying like this is the emotion of what the character is feeling and these are the these are the things that have to happen but then you go off and you do a block um, and the, so it's not specific at this point this is sort of you know you're taking that information and then you're processing it you're giving your take and then you take that block and then you meet again with the director and then the director says you know I didn't like how you did that or that looks good you know and from there you can either go do an actual take or you might have to do another rehearsal because maybe you didn't show the director exactly that you know you're not really on the same page yet so, um, but I mean, yeah, that process allows the director to have a lot of feedback, but it also gives you a chance to sort of pitch a lot of your own ideas into it. So um, it's, yeah, it's really, it was, it was much more fun process than I knew it would be. And a, a block, is that a, just a series of poses? Yeah, I mean, I kind of animate the shot, but I do it on like eights, I would say, where I do like eight frames and then eight frames. So it's, you know, you can kind of see the motion, but it's a bit choppy, but it just, just gives you a sense of the timing. Um, I'd put the expressions in, you know, you just, you just see if they're going to, you know, if you're walking a character, you need to know if it's going to make it to a certain point in time in the shot. So it's just, you get all that kind of stuff. You can pre-drill your holes that way for the walking, stuff like okay. that. You have to drill the holes, I guess. Yeah, you always have to drill your holes because you can never you can never know exactly where the foot is going to land. I mean, that's the beauty of stop motion is you can plan a lot, but 
when you're, you know, when you're animating, you, you have to make sure it looks good as you're going along. And so it might go just, a, you know, a little bit off to one side or the other. So you'll have to drill the hole. You can't have the foot just like pop onto the wrong place. So yeah, you drill it when you're there. Oh, I thought I thought they were just uh, like you're animating on top of a pegboard. So you had like a choice, multiple choices of where the foot could land. But you actually have to drill the hole. I guess that's. that's uh, oh, no. Like in Coraline, too, they had these sets that had massive uh, round, you know, because they like when she was on the when I was animating her by the house, that was really, I had to have a really long um, drill bit because they had just layers of the, they made these hills and stuff. And yeah, no, it was not a pegboard. It was definitely <laughs> drilling through. Oh my gosh. The set designers yeah. are really killing themselves knowing that it's all going to have holes in it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, I yeah. guess they just take that out in post-production. They just kind of cover that up or whatever, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you can see it in general, you kind of fill it with a you mix like a clay that matches the floor or something, and you fill it up, you fill the hole, and then yeah, they'll and if it, if it's still kind of visible, they'll you know in post yeah. they'll fix that. So what what actual characters did you animate on Coraline, and what scenes uh, can we look out for? Um, well, I did mostly I did the cat, and that was because I came on a little bit late under the production, so most of the characters had really been fleshed out. But the cat was still kind of not um, hadn't been animated a lot yet, so I had a chance to go in and do a lot of testing with it and play around with it, and I and I really liked it. I really liked that character, so I I kind of just yeah, I just moved on to doing shots of the cat, and I just I wanted to stay in that in that world. So I did a lot of the like the scene kind of like the Cheshire cat where the cat is walking along the the tree branches you know walking along yeah. the trunk of the tree up on the roof and um, yeah that that stuff that's when the cat is talking and walking so when you when you were exploring the tests is that when you're kind of coming up with the style of his movement and how like the cat is very fluid and and quick so are you are you exploring that in the tests or is there direction to say please make it like this uh, I mean it was really just tests to I, I shot a lot of video of my I had a cat at the time and I, I shot a lot of video of the cat and so it was sort of incorporating actual cat movement but yeah. with the fact that the cat had the talk it was just sort of practicing getting that it moves and feels like it's a cat but it also talks and emotes and moves its head in a way that maybe a human would do so it's just kind of just practicing that. Also, the, the little, there were two sizes of cats. There was a 100% cat, which was really tiny. And then there was a 200% cat, which was much bigger, which was for close up and step. Because of the way the set was built, I had to mostly animate with the 100% cat. So um, that had the tiny little wire legs. It didn't have, it, it was too small to put armatures into the legs. So I ended up um, just going through a lot of cat legs because the little wires would break a lot. So I'd be in the middle of the shot, and then I'd have to go and get a new leg put on quite frequently. That like <laughs> so, so that was challenging. <laughs> and the feet were so small, I couldn't even do a tie down all the way through the set. So I had these little, just these little plugs that I was just kind of making tiny little holes and plugging these little plugs in, and then just trying not to, you know, move the puppet too much because it wasn't really, it was never really solid or locked down. Oh my gosh! Did you ever just like knock it over, or it fell over, and ruin the shot, and you had to redo it? <laughs> no, it wouldn't fall over because it had the pegs. It would just, if anything, the feet might twist around a lot, and there'd be like chatter. You know, what it would look like his feet weren't really solid. So I had to fight. That was really what I had to fight more than him. It wouldn't really fall over, but. <laughs>
So you, you kind of mentioned the process of uh, working with the director a little bit, doing the blocking and then getting the shot done. And you mentioned getting it approved most of the time. Can you kind of just go through the process of uh, how you get a shot approved? So you, you shoot the shot, shoot the shot, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, it, and then you run over to your director and you're like, hey, look at this. And then he's like, or she's um, like, oh. <laughs> No, usually on a movie, uh, if it's on TV, yeah, you go grab the director and they come to you because they're they're not as busy. But on a movie, you have like so many animators and the director's really busy. So um, it gets sent into what's called dailies. And then in the morning, um, everybody goes into the theater and they play all of the shots that have been shot the day before or finished the day before, I should say. And um, yeah, then the director talks about it in front of everybody and either says, yeah, that's shit, or no, that's great, it's approved. <laughs> and you really hope that you get a, it's approved and that you're not called out in front of everybody about all of your mistakes. Um, but yeah, it's, a, yeah it's, it's, a, it's not a very private process. <laughs> so in that light, do you kind of have an animation signature? Like, can people look at it and be like, oh yeah, that's totally Sarah animating that. Or you could look at somebody else and be like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so. I don't know so much on Coraline if I had that, but I know that I used to have that in TV. I, I, I did a lot of, um, <laughs> I was always like jutting the chin out a bit. I had this thing, um, yeah, it was just uh, accentuating vowel sounds by kind of pushing the chin out. I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> but yeah, most animators, they have something they do a lot. I mean, we had one animator always put like, his hand on rubbing the back of the neck or something when he was thinking and you, you would just know you'd see that and you'd say oh I know who did that shot nice. it's just there yeah like a calling card <laughs> that's kind of fun um yeah so I just, I just have a I guess a couple more questions one is um still going back to the contract thing how do you I mean you've worked on so many shows and I guess dozens of contracts how do you seek out a new contract when you're done so you know your contract is coming to an end and then what? Well, if you're lucky, you have one lined up. Um, uh, but the way stop motion goes is it goes in waves. So sometimes there's a whole bunch of jobs all at once, and then sometimes there's no jobs. So um, I, I, I think I can safely say every job I've had since college was always through um, somebody I knew I'd either worked for before or I was recommended by someone else. Um, I it's all in the business. It's all about who you know and your network. And that's how you get work. It's not, um, I don't have to go searching, you know, and applying. It's just really not a lot to apply for. To be honest, it's like you have one or two movies and you'll either know someone on one of the movies or you don't. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's not, um, it's not a big world. There's not a lot to choose from. So you just, yeah. <laughs> would, would you think it would be harder to break in if you don't know anybody? I, I would say yes. Yeah. Um, which is why the best way in is probably to start if you can get like an internship or something like that is really a good way in the door. I mean, I got all my jobs in the beginning through teachers at my college. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was always it was always something like that. It was never. Yeah, it was never like I just cold applied somewhere and I got hired. I mean, it was always it's definitely through networking. So. Um, so, yeah, it is. It's kind of a business where, yeah, you need to get to know people, I think. Interesting. And yeah, I, I, the community is so small. It, it seems like what well, you say, you kind of know everybody almost. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't really want to anger anybody because <laughs> it no, is no. really small. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Are you always on the go then? Like uh, when you get a new contract, you have to like get up and move or 
Is there like a hub of animation in the States? I know you're in Paris now. There's a couple hubs of animation. So, I mean, I think some people have done very well to stay in the same city for a really long time. I mean, that's definitely possible to do. But I feel like if you're if you really want to have constant work in stop motion specifically, you would have to be pre prepared to move at some point. But um, you don't necessarily have to move as much these days because I do think that there's kind of, you know, like Portland at this point, there's a couple studios uh, set up now. I can think of next year, there'll be like four projects up and running at, you know, different studios that we'll all be hiring. So Portland's definitely a hub. And then there's always TV work in LA and now there's going to be a movie there as well. Um, sometimes there's movies in London. London definitely has a ton of work in stop motion. So right. you can count on that. <laughs> have you, have but yeah, you, those, are, those are hubs. Do you see that changing a little bit now that there's like Netflix and Amazon Prime and other kind of uh, big, big studios and production companies that are asking for more stop motion? Or do well, those hubs still stay the I mean, same? Well, at the moment, uh, I mean, the hubs seem to stay the same, but they seem to have more work because, uh, I mean, for sure, I think Netflix at the moment is definitely changing the industry because they seem more willing to take the risk of doing stop motion projects because they don't have to uh, market it to a huge audience like a, you know, like a Disney film or something. So... Yeah, you see this year alone, I, there's three Netflix stop motion features that are going to be shooting. Uh, so I, I mean, I don't know how long that's going to last, but for the moment, um, that's huge. I think the streaming services are rescuing stop motion at the moment, really bringing it back. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so uh, just kind of wrapping things up, I guess. Uh, I know you won an Emmy <laughs> for your work, your work in animation. Uh, can you can you talk a little bit about that and how you found out and, and how you felt when you won? Um, yeah, so I got an Emmy on uh, Robot Chicken, which <laughs> um, <laughs> is kind of funny because you wouldn't watch it and think about like, oh, it's a, <laughs> it's a place where, yeah, the animation is amazing. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I was working one day and um, they said everybody go in the hallway and uh, and then they came in and they had this, uh, Seth had a, Seth Green had a like a I think he had like balloons or something and he came walking down and then they came to me and he handed to me and he's like you want an Emmy um, which was crazy because I didn't I, I before that I didn't really even know they had the ability to like as an animator to win an Emmy I didn't realize that was even like a category or a thing. Um, but it is, there's like a, it's a, it's a juried award. So it's not like, you know, it's not one where there's, um, uh, where you're nominated and then you find out if you win, it's just a bunch of people sit in a room and they watch these submissions and they say either, yes, you've got an Emmy or no, you don't. That's really how it works. So I somehow managed to get a yes and, uh, I'm still shocked by it. Um, but, uh, but I mean, that was cool. It was a really, it was a really fun night. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Cool. And what are you working on next? What's coming up for you? I know you're doing some freelance work right now, but uh, are there any big projects in the works? There is, but um, I'm not ready to publicly announce it. That's fine. <laughs> so That's I fine. will. <laughs> but I am. Yeah, I'm going to probably be working on a on a big project next year. <laughs> well, we'll keep one on of those up. movies. <laughs> one of those movies that we can't talk about. <laughs> We'll keep on the lookout for that. Um, I know you've you've given like a lot of great insight into TV and and film and stop motion, um, and you've you've kind of given a lot of advice on how to start. You know, have a you need to maybe get an internship and build up your network and stuff like that. Would you have any 
other final thoughts or things that you look back on and, and kind of wish you knew for people looking to get into stop motion nowadays because of how things have changed or what you've learned? Well, I think the, there's a couple key things. One of the things is um, if you start out making stop motion and your stop motion really sucks and you, you think, oh, this doesn't look as good as the stuff that I see, <laughs> a lot of people would probably just give up at that point. But I would say don't give up. You just keep making it because the more you practice at something and the more you keep doing it, you'll you'll get better at it. Because if you really like it and you're passionate about it and you have good taste and you know what looks good and what doesn't, you will eventually get there. So I think that one of the things people have to just not be discouraged to go ahead and make bad animation in the beginning, unless they're amazing and they make it in the beginning. I've seen some people like that and I hate them, but it's you know, <laughs> <laughs> good for them. Um, but uh, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just say my first advice is don't give up, just keep making it. And um, yeah, I mean, just keep contacting people and uh, try to do an internship. And there's a lot of studios that do, I mean, there's a lot of studios that really rely heavily on, on interns for their work. So um, I think there's a lot of opportunities to get your foot in the door. So That's great. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing your story and, and your work in stop motion and your advice. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. you. And uh, all the best with the new film you're working on that you can't talk about. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's been great having you and thank you for coming on. And if you're listening and you'd like to see Sarah's work or get in touch with her, you can follow her on Instagram and I will include the link to her Instagram profile in the description of this video. And thank you so much for listening. And that's all for now. Okay, bye.